test? I don't see the light. Oh, hey, it's good. Don't need the light. Well, thank you for your, uh, your patience with us this morning. Pastor Chris is out. I um, want to take just a moment before we get into the word here and uh, just pray. Uh, we need God's grace not only this morning, but there are several out among us who are sick. Uh, I was talking to, to Tim this morning. His wife Loretta is not feeling well. Chris and Grace are not feeling well. Our son Cody is not feeling well. So it's uh, uh, dropping like flies around here. So um, we need God's grace for them. And continue to pray for Tim and Loretta's grandson, Thomas. Uh, Lord willing, they're going to be up there this week. So we'll, we'll continue to prayers for them and uh, both Tim and Loretta as they go to minister up there. So um, let's pray, all right? Lord, you have graciously promised to us your presence. And so now, this morning, we ask for the hope of the Spirit of God to be awakened and alive within us. That we would know that you are here, that you're near, that you love us, that you have promised to us grace and hope and care. Lord, there's many among us who are uh, ill. Uh, I think this morning specifically of, of Thomas. Lord, would you grant uh, grace to him? Help him to know uh, the, the power of your presence with him, the comfort of your presence with him. Lord, we pray for Loretta and our pastor Chris, Grace, and Cody, and so many others, Father, who may be ill or suffering this morning. Our flesh is weak, failing, damaged, but we know that there's coming a day when you will make all things right, where there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, because you're there. And so this morning, Lord, we long for your presence. As we look into your word, we pray that you would grant us, please, the grace to see wondrous things from your law, that our hearts would be encouraged where we need encouragement that we would be corrected where we need correction that we would live today in the light of the presence of Jesus Christ with us at all times pray that you strengthen us now do a work that only you can do to illuminate your word to us this morning and may you receive all the glory and honor as we seek to live as faithful stewards and good followers of Jesus Christ. Help us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John chapter 8 this morning. Uh, I did not take the challenge to do Hebrews. <laughs> so we're going to go to John. Uh, I'll leave all of those things for Pastor Chris. Uh, enjoying them greatly, but I'll leave them for him. John chapter 8, please. John 8. We're going to start in verse 12, and we'll read a section in just a little bit. Um, but I think a pivotal section for the Gospel of John with one of the really significant, uh, uh, one of the seven statements of, seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. But it mirrors the statement that we're familiar with, right? Uh, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And with that statement, God brought into existence one of the most basic elements of life, light. Our very existence depends on it, and yet, it still remains as one of the most complex elements of the scientific world. Uh, many scientists have studied light extensively. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, several of the first Nobel Prizes in physics were awarded for work done in the field of light. 
Uh, now, you might be saying, I don't know any physicists. You know one. I'm sure you know one. Albert Einstein was a physicist. You know him, right? Einstein. And as a matter of fact, Einstein came to prominence through his theory of light and his work in the theory of light. Uh, and he, was, he, he, had, he has done some of his most influential work in the area of light. In the early 1900s, 1905, his paper on light theory was revolutionary to the world of physics and really has, had launched us in the scientific world, launched us in the scientific world into some incredible discoveries in the 20th century as it had to do with light. And his theory eventually changed what we know to be true about light. Our concern this morning is with more than the physical complexities of light. Uh, it's not a science lesson, which is great because I'm not a scientist, so that helps out, right? Um, but light for the believer has spiritual significance. And so I wanted to intersect a couple of the uh, things that we know to be true about light with what Jesus himself says here in John chapter 8. And I really believe in, in, in many ways the gospel of John may be the epicenter of this discussion of the spiritual use of light. John brings in uh, some of the Old Testament usages of light in Jesus' statement here with light, and he wraps them all together into some incredible truths from Jesus' one statement here in John where he says, I am the light of the world. So let's take just a moment here. Here we are, uh, uh, John chapter 8, and let's start in verse 12, and we're just going to read a, a short section down to verse 20, John, 12, uh, John 8, 12 to 20, and then uh, we'll discuss some of this, okay? Uh, so John 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, we need a, uh, to, to understand what's going on here. We need a little bit of context, right? This is part of a larger uh, body of teaching that Jesus is presenting, it starts all the way back in chapter 7 and verse 1, okay? Um, Jesus was teaching in the temple at one of the three primary feasts of the Jews called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Um, and this is, a, this is a very significant moment in Jewish history. This, this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, is a feast that happens usually in the fall time, October, November, sometime around there. It's thankfulness. It's, a, it's meant to remind the nation to be thankful for what God has provided for them. It is uh, the nation would, uh, the people who are participating in this feast would live outdoors in booths made of tree branches as a reminder of God's provision in the desert during the wandering. So essentially, they went camping, right? Um, yeah, probably a little bit better than what we would consider camping, but you know what? Bobby, they made it out of sticks, right? This is like, early bushwhacking, right? 
<laughs> well, maybe not quite like that. But uh, they lived outdoors in booths made of tree branches to remind themselves of what God did to bring them out of Egypt and to care for them as they wandered through the desert. Now, it is, a, it is signified, one of the things that they're trying to remember as they celebrate this Feast of Booths, or this Feast of Tabernacles, is that God was with his people, right? This is the, the whole term tabernacle. Um, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, it might be a month ago at this point, but Paul Smith, our missionary Paul Smith was here, and he did an absolutely outst- outstanding job tracing the theology of the tabernacle and God's presence with us. I don't have time to do all that, so go listen to his message, all right? But there's some really significant uh, understandings that are happening here in this Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. They're celebrating that God is with them. Now, we know kind of what, we kind of have a little background understanding to what's going on here, right? Uh, Incredibly, God is with them at this point, right? So here you have the Feast of Booths where they are celebrating that God is with them and Jesus is right here celebrating the Feast of Booths with them. Jesus is with them. This is amazing. This is amazing. Now, contextually again, the Jews had been increasingly hostile towards Jesus. At this point in his ministry, the Jews had been increasingly hostile towards Jesus and his message. As a matter of fact, um, if you just, even if you want to just flip back and you can survey, we won't read any parts of it, but uh, in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching them again. He he feeds the 5,000 in John 6, and they chase after him because they want the food. And Jesus points that out to them, and they get a little bit upset. And then Jesus says that he's the bread, and you have to eat him and drink him. And people are, like, really confused and very angry. Verse 41, the Jews grumble against him. Verse 66, many disciples turn away from following him. Even if if you're there, just uh, chapter 7 and verse 5, it says that his literal brothers, right, his familial brothers, didn't even believe him at this time, right? Disciples have turned away. His brothers don't believe him. The Jews are after him. They're hostile toward his teaching. They're hostile toward his, his ministry. As a matter of fact, it, Jesus even has to uh, sneak into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast with the people there at the temple because of the hostilities towards him. If he would have gone up in a regular sense, there would have been a great, great outcry here. And, and ev- even uh, 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 chapter 7, verse 1 says that the Jews had a plot at this point to kill him. Right? This isn't like pleasantries that Jesus is walking into. This is an increasingly hostile crowd that he is teaching. But because of his teaching, they were absolutely astounded. Verse 15 says, uh, chapter 7 and verse 15, the, the group was astounded. Even so much so that uh, I think it's towards the end of chapter 7, they send some of the temple guards to arrest Jesus, and the temple guards go, and then they come back not having arrested Jesus, and, the temp- and they say, well, why didn't you pick him up? And they said, ah, nobody's taught like this guy. Nobody has taught like this man. His, his teaching at this point was increasingly direct. He was revealing specifically that he was the Messiah. He was revealing where he came from. He came from the Father. He was calling men directly and specifically to believe in him. He was rejecting the unbelief of the Pharisees and those who followed the Pharisees. And so he uh, uh, stirred up in the spiritual authorities this great angst and anger as to his message and what he is claiming to be. And it's in this context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, there's also some underlying messages and connections 
to uh, uh, the Feast of Booths that we'll get to in, in just a minute. So he's not only speaking theologically, but he's speaking to their culture, and he is speaking against the Pharisees and the religious structure of the day. Maybe you could illustrate it like this. Okay, this feast was in the fall in October. It's like the guy who comes to your Thanksgiving dinner and says something incredibly controversial while everybody's gathered around the table, right? This is how Jesus' statement lands. I am the light of the world. This is intense. And I, I, we want to, I want to take just a, a brief amount of time this morning and kind of unwrap some of the significance of this statement. It really in two ways. Uh, we want to we look at what the message is and then we want to look at what the message does. Okay, what it is and what it does. The first thing that this statement, I am the light of the world, does is it reveals very clearly that God is with us. And this is where we come back to maybe a, a, a brief understanding of the concept of light in the scripture. Light is something that God frequently uses to indicate his presence. And the contrast, darkness, is an indication of God's absence. Right? So when light is there, God is there. When darkness is there, God is not there. Uh, and, and this would be extremely significant coming from Jesus during the feast that celebrates the very presence of God. As a matter of fact, they do a couple of interesting things during the feast. One is kind of a, a ritual with water, and the other one is a ritual with light. In the outer courts of the temple, they had these massive candles, uh, candelabras, that they would fill with, uh, some of the sources I was reading said, up to gallons of olive oil within this. So this was a very large light, a very large candle. And one of the ceremonies that they would go through in this Feast of Booths is this light, uh, lamp lighting ceremony, where there would be this incredible brilliance from the temple itself, and then even all around Jerusalem, as the people living in their booths would celebrate, they would light lights in their booths so that Jerusalem, the temple itself, and then Jerusalem as a city really stood out against the darkness almost as this, uh, I remember Jesus' teaching um, that you wouldn't put a, 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 a candle under a bushel, but you'd want it to light like a city on top of a hill. This is the sense that you would get. This is the picture that you would get from the city of Jerusalem and the celebration of the Feast of the Booths at this time. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And Jesus, during this feast of celebrating the presence of God, indicated by light, comes into the temple and in this incredible crowd says, I am the light of the world. This is amazing, right? In the temple, declaring himself to be the very presence of God. Now, this is, this, the significance of this would not be lost on these people because light had indicated God, God's presence over and over. All the way back, uh, uh, Moses and the burning bush, what was there? Fire, right? The light from the fire. Um, one of the plagues in Egypt, how did God demonstrate his power over light? It was darkness on the Egyptians, and it was light on the nation of Israel. The darkness and the light. Uh, what about when Moses came down from the mountain after being with God? His face shone with the brilliant light because he had been with God. Uh, the psalmist, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And when the glory of Christ is revealed, as we make our way into the New Testament, it's also demonstrated in light. Uh, in, in Matthew 17, the account of the transfiguration. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. It was the very presence of God. 
the glory of God revealed to them. As you fast forward through some of the things of the New Testament, we'll get to those later, but you, you fast forward to Revelation. We have these incredible pictures and its usage of light as the very presence of God. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." This in, uh, he goes on to say at the end of this, his face was like the sun shining at full strength. The very presence of God demonstrated with this incredible light. And even in, even in the uh, characteristics of heaven, right? Where God exists, where he lives, his presence is there. Uh, uh, John in Revelation says in Revelation 21, the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Very clearly throughout scripture as we trace it even from the beginning all the way through to revelation We're seeing here that this is a significant statement of god's presence with his people When god is there light is there. So when jesus says I am the light of the world He is indicating I think first and foremost that he is the very presence of god in the world I'm here I'm with you uh, Makes complete sense because what was one of the names that was given to him at the beginning Emmanuel which means God with us makes sense even in John's gospel as he starts off the gospel in John chapter 1 in verses 4 through 9 in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Uh, even the message of John the Baptist in the, in the following verses, it says, There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about what? The light. That all that would believe through him, uh, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus, in making this statement, was drawing very clearly a point of identification between he and the Father. God said his presence was signified by light. Jesus was there, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Now, this expands even further because he says, I'm the light of the world, right? It wasn't just the light of the temple or the light of the city or the light of our feast or the light of our celebrations. This was the light of the world. This is expanded in an incredible, uh, incredible way to the, the people that are there hearing his communication. Now, I, I think with this description here, we also see another aspect of the connection between God and light coming through. It's not just about the presence of God, but it's also about the declaration of truth. So the light was not only an indication that God was present, but it was also an indication that God said something and said something very significant, that he was redeeming man through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's not just declaring that he's the presence of God, but he was the very declaration of the truth of God. The message that he brings salvation through belief in him as the eternal sacrifice for sin, this was the message of the light that would free them from the darkness of sin. Now, uh, you see this, We're, we'll mention a few more things in John, because I think John really starts to surface this understanding of light and what it means. In John chapter 3, 
This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, and he mentions some things about light. In verse 19, he says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we're seeing here that, that Jesus' declaration as being the light of the world is, is, is a description of God's nature. I'm with you. But it's also a description of God's message. I'm with you to redeem you. I'm with you for the truth of identifying your sin and identifying a Savior. This message of salvation through belief in Jesus. And this message stood in complete contrast to the darkness of their own evil deeds. And this is where we find more description of the characteristics of life, light that match what Christ was declaring himself and his message to be. Because we go on to not only understand that Jesus' declaration of himself as light connects him to who God is and what God is doing, but then it also does some things. It takes an active role in what is happening here. What does Jesus say light does? I think one of the simplest concepts of light is the concept that where there is light, you can see, and where there is no light, you cannot see. Now, that seems very basic to us, right? Uh, But if you've been up in the middle of the night at your house and stubbed your toe on something or stepped on something, you see the, the, the very significance of light itself. Like, I didn't see that there. Um, And we tend to illuminate important things because we want to be able to see them. Uh, I remember several years ago, uh, I was on a tour in Washington, D.C., and we had the opportunity to take a tour of the monuments in Washington, D.C. at night. And if you ever get a chance to do that, it's, it's quite a sight. It's really incredible because the monuments are all lit up very specifically and very intentionally to draw attention to certain parts of them, and it's absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So, so we get this concept of we illuminate what is very important. We reveal what is very important. And this, this is what Jesus is saying. As Jesus is saying he is the light of the world, he is saying that he is a revealer. Now, this makes sense in the greater context as we've already explained it, right? Because who's mad at him? Well, the Pharisees are mad at him. And the people that don't believe who he says he is, they're mad at him, right? And, and people who... Uh, want to follow Jesus for all the benefits you can get with all the the sacrifices you have to make, they're mad at him and they've left him. What has happened as the light has come into the world? It's revealed something. It's identified something. Like Jesus in his message to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, it's shown the darkness that is there. It shows that, it shows the, the honesty and the reality of mankind in his own sinfulness. It's not necessarily a pretty sight, right? And this is why I say these interactions, as we get to these sections in John, these interactions are a lot more direct and a lot more honest with people. And he says in John 6, if you, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. He says here, if, if you don't believe the light, you have no part of me. It's very clear that those who are evil don't want to come, beca- come to the light because the light will reprove them. It shows us our own sinfulness. You see this illustrated throughout Scripture. 
both in Revelation chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 6 in Moses' interaction with God on the mountain. What happens when they see God for who he really is, the brilliance of the glory of the light of God? They fall down on their face because they realize something very quickly. I'm sinful. I'm sinful. And the brilliance of the light of Jesus Christ identifies very quickly and very clearly the sinful state of mankind. But there's something I think even more beautiful here too because it doesn't just illuminate our sinfulness. It illuminates our Savior. Jesus, in his declaration that he is the light of the world, is not only identifying the darkness within the hearts of the people that are listening to his message, but he is calling attention to himself as the solution, the very savior to the the, the core problem that they're struggling with. Not only does this message of belief in Jesus stand as the primary pushing forward message of Jesus himself, it is the very thing that everyone listening to him needs. So I think this is why Jesus says, like in John 3, that he hasn't come to condemn. He's come to save. This indication of light doesn't primarily reveal your wickedness. It primarily reveals your Savior. And if you stop simply at the fact that you are sinful and wicked in your own heart in need of a savior without taking the next step to turn your eyes towards Jesus Christ and and in gratitude and worship and adoration in belief and humility say I have a savior and he's here then you've missed half of this message the work of light is to reveal Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 4 he says and even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The darkness blinds you from seeing the light, seeing the light of Jesus. He goes on to say this, um, uh, 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 that Jesus is the image of God for what we proclaim for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and when we understand the wickedness of our sins and when we see the Savior Jesus Christ, we're turning from the darkness of sins to the light of Christ. This passage here in, first, in 2 Corinthians likens that to God saying, let there be light. In many regards, the work of salvation in the heart of mankind is like God speaking light into darkness. And Jesus, as he stands up in the temple at this time and declares himself to be the light of the world, shines in darkness, presenting not only the depth of man's depravity, but the hope of a Savior. This is incredible. This light not only is a revealer, but this light also brings life. It brings life. Now, we get this from a physical perspective, right? If you take your houseplants and you put them in a closet without light, what happens? They die. They die. They die a slow and miserable death because there is no light, right? There is no light. 
And as Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world, he says that that light does something. It brings life. We've already read several passages of scripture that make that clear connection again. That light brings life. Light brings life. And I I, I believe that here as we have this first understanding that we are desperately in need of a Savior and and Jesus is that light of the world and as we uh, repent of our sins and believe Christ as our Savior, then we have eternal life rather than the punishment for sin, uh, for our sins, eternal death. So turning to the light brings life. So one aspect of this life, I think, is this eternal life. We we get that. But I, I, I don't think we can skip to the eternal without recognizing that that life also has an impact in the here and now. And, and the rest of the New Testament is really, um, uh, speaks very much about the work of light in the ongoing life of a believer. Uh, here's Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. For the believer, you're no longer characterized by darkness. You should be characterized by light. Put on the armor of light. Again, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? There's a contrast here. And for those of us waiting for that full light to be revealed, we are implored by Scripture, we're commanded by Scripture to walk in light, to live in ways that reflect the light that has been shown to us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is just a simple sampling of the references that we can mention about the connection between light and holiness or obedience. So Christ being our light does not only affect us for our eternal destination— which it does, but it affects us for our very present life. We are called to be children of light. Now, we'll we'll get to some applications as as we continue to moving on. So the the light reveals things, the uh, the light gives us life, but then, and, and I think this is very significant for us as well, the light provides direction for obedient living. Because I think in some regards, we can see these commands from the New Testament to walk in light and we can ask ourselves the question well how do I do that? How do I do that? Now there's I think a lot in the New Testament gives us some very clear ways to do that but there's also some things here with light that help us out. You'll remember probably familiarly from Psalm 119 verse 105 it says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now interestingly John in his gospel calls Jesus both the word 
and the light. There's direction here for obedient living. God leads and guides us in obedience to his will and his plan for our lives. It's, it's not as if God saves us and then allows us to just kind of wander through trying to find our own way. But he provides for us through his scripture clear and concrete truth to follow. He gives us the grace of light for the path. He doesn't leave us to wonder what it means that Jesus is the light of the world and how do I follow this light of the world? But he gives us grace and guidance to take steps in life in connection to his will. So, we have to ask ourselves, so what? Right? So what? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So what? Two very simple applications. One, Maybe you have never stepped into the light. Maybe you've never believed. But this was a, these, the, the things that Jesus was saying to these people were hard things for them. They were hard truths. And there were many that didn't believe. And there were many who struggled with belief. Even here in John chapter 8, I challenge you to read the rest of John chapter 8. It's kind of confusing because there's a section there where some of the Jews believe and then they act like they don't believe and you wonder if they really did believe. And it's kind of, kind of difficult. But there is a clear command for us to see the light of Jesus, to allow that light to illuminate our darkness, to be aware of the sin within us, and then to come in repentance, seeking the grace that can only be found and the salvation that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Will you come to the light? Will you reject your darkness? Will you leave your sin and follow the light? Jesus has not only called us to follow the light, he has sacrificed himself so that we can follow the light. He has made the way possible for us to have complete forgiveness of our sins. The grace that we sang of this morning, he's provided it for us. Will you believe? I think the second application goes to those of us who currently believe. Are you walking in the light? I gave you just a small sampling of what the New Testament talks about, what that means. And it's pretty significant. Children of light, armor of light, walking in the light, rejecting evil deeds of darkness. And if you look at the extensive context of those verses that I read, it gives you descriptions of what that looks like. Right? It's, not, it's not nebulous. It's very concrete. What part of your life is still veiled in darkness? What part of your life are you seeking to continue to hide from God? In what ways are you not living like you're a child of the light, but rather embracing the deeds of darkness? Clearly here, Jesus' declaration of himself as the light is both salvific for our salvation and for our sanctification. We are to be walking as children of light. So will you follow him? I, I, I love the progression of this text. You'll never be able to follow Christ in holiness or obedience unless you believe him to be your savior. And the flip side of this is true as well. Once you believe him to be your savior, then you will follow him in a holiness and obedience so don't be like the unbelieving religious group who kept the traditions 
who lit the candles, who built the tents, and who listened to Jesus and simply said, wow, that's a great teacher. Respond in faith as the Spirit directs your heart to not only believe that Jesus can save you from your sins, wholly and eternally, but believe that Jesus can save me from my sin today in the habits and the difficulties that I face internally to live as a child of him. Let's pray. Father, help us please not to walk as children of darkness, but help us to walk in the light because you're in the light. I pray, dear Lord, for anyone here this morning who may be wrestling with their very underlying belief of Jesus. I pray that you would bring light, that you would shine that light in their hearts so that they could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For those of us who believe, as we live our lives day by day, struggling, wrestling against the sin that so easily besets us, I pray that you would help us to walk in light, living each day in the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. Help us please to reflect him, to reflect his glory, to reflect his grace, to live in holiness and obedience, seeking guidance from you as our, uh, our light and following you wherever you would lead us. Thank you for these truths of scripture. May they be rooted deep within us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our final song today is Behold Our God.